0: Hey, K. first, welcome to week four of our series called Soul Therapy, where we dive into scripture and we look at what scripture says about dealing with the things that happen under the surface of our lives. We talk about emotions and things like that during this series. So, If you have your Bibles, open up to Judges chapter six. And what I've done today is I've kind of reached down into my, my, what I call my emotional file. I've got a file on my computer where all throughout the year, I document things from my devotions, or if I'm doing character studies, I love Look into characters and specifically how the different characters of Scripture navigate their emotions and how their emotions, uh, the way they view themselves, how that affects their response to God. And today we're going to look at the character of Gideon because I believe that Gideon is going to help us understand the issue of insecurity. Let's pray. Lord, today I ask that you would just meet with us that you would just impact every individual, wherever they're watching from a dining room, living room, kitchen, bedroom, God, wherever they're watching, uh, if they're sitting in the yard in a lawn chair, or maybe listening to their cars, they're taking a drive. I just pray that your presence would just permeate those atmospheres, causing all of us to have an encounter with your presence that would leave us completely changed. So, here we are, Lord. We are yours. Speak. Your servants are listening and we're ready to respond. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 20, 30 years ago, something like that. uh, I got a call from uh, an extended family member of mine and it's before cell phones, so it's actually at the home phone to pick up the home line and he's telling me, he's like, Dave, my truck got stolen. He had this red and white pickup truck, and he said, my truck got stolen. I woke up in the morning, went to go to work, and the truck is gone. And just completely shocked And so, you know, one side I'm grieving for my extended family member But the other side I'm like, oh my, my word, that's kind of cool we got, a, we got a car stolen from us I don't know why I went to that place But, you know, I heard about it happening to other people And now it is happening to uh, my extended family And so I remember having those conversations Wanting to fill out the police report And then we then found out it wasn't stolen It wasn't misplaced it was repossessed. Now, if you're unfamiliar with repossessed or the, the repo man, as we would call him, it's when uh, if you've missed a payment or two, that something can be just taken right back. That if you've failed on a payment, you get that vehicle or you get that thing taken away from you. And so when I think about repossessed or things that are repossessed, I think of our identities in Christ. Because there are some of us that we have forfeited our identity in Christ by giving attention to other things and other identities and other purposes that are less worthy than the kingdom of God. And there's so many people inside and outside the church that are wandering, searching. They have forfeited. They have allowed somebody else to possess their identity in order to say, this is what is mine. It's not yours any longer. But that's where we have to remember who we are in Jesus Christ. Because if we could fixate on who we are in Christ, we can understand that the enemy, that the devil has no right to lay claim over our identity. There are some people in your life that have laid claim over your life. What they say is your identity. But I want you to understand, you are not what other people say you are. You are not what you think you are. You belong to Jesus. And we could rest in that. And just like the repo man, we can't afford just to think that anybody should be able to come and possess or repossess that which does not belong to them. Because I'm telling you, you may have had a rotten past or a broken past, but I'm telling you, that has no right to come and repossess your life because you were made, according to Paul, brand new in Christ. And so I want to talk about our identity. I want to talk about how we view ourselves because that way we view ourselves can cause trauma to our emotional selves. Because many of you that are watching, you may struggle with self-esteem. Some people, you don't even like yourself. You don't like what you see in the mirror. Others of you, maybe you navigate through that, which I could struggle with, just that insecurity that could tend to rob us of fully understanding and living out our identities in Jesus Christ. Now, I'll admit, this this is a topic that I have probably struggled with my entire life. I have always struggled with insecurity, always have. I was always insecure about being so shy and I would be so envious for people that were just better in public, better in crowds. Uh, I remember just being in kid's church and whenever uh, they did a game and said, do we have any volunteers? I wanted to volunteer. I wanted to be a part of a game, but I get so insecure. Like, what are people going to think of me? What if I mess up? Are the other kids going to make fun of me? And I would watch the kids that just had all of the boldness of the world to raise their hands and they would run up on stage and I thought I could never do that. When we were kids we had these things in Sunday schools called sword drills and it took me years to get enough guts to compete and actually thrive in it and all it was was you held your bible up in the air above your head and they would say John 3 and you couldn't quote it from memory, you had to find it in your Bible. And I remember the first number of times we did it, I would find it before anybody else. And my friends would be like, Dave, stand up, stand up, stand up, read the scripture, you'll win the sticker. And I would just stay down because i was so insecure. Am I going to stutter in front of everybody? Am I going to read the verse wrong? Are people going to think that I'm weird because I'm always finding it before everybody else? Are they going to call me a nerd, a geek or whatever? I just lived with a lot of insecurity. And that's something that I think that does not go away when we become adults because instead of chasing after the validation of a few friends in a neighborhood or a few friends at church, we begin to chase the validation of coworkers, friends, family members. We begin to chase after other things to fulfill the identities in our lives, which is why uh, the, the, the Proverbs writer writes this verse in Proverbs four twenty three: guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now, if you've been at K First long enough, you you know my teaching about things like this, because according to the Hebrew mindset, the heart was not the seat of feelings and emotions like our Western world thinks. The Hebrew uh, mindset about it was that the heart was the seat of intellect. So we should be able to read it. Guard your mind. In fact, the Good News Translation says this: Be careful how you think, for your life is shaped by your thoughts. That will preach. Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Where your mind goes, your life goes. How you think is where your identity goes. And that's what we want to help correct because I think that's the best way to deal with our insecurity is learning where our true identity comes comes from. Now listen to this. There are two problems when it comes to insecurity and our identity and how we do self-assessment. Two problems. Number one, we let culture define who we are or what we are. We let our culture define who we are or what we are. We let our culture identify how beautiful you are based upon your shape, your skin tone, um, your ability to do hair or what you're supposed to wear, uh, what colors you're wearing based upon whatever season. It is insane how our airbrush culture has, has given out this edict on what is beautiful and what isn't beautiful. What about possessions? That you're in, you're something based upon the size of the house or the look of the house, the way you decorate your house, how you shape your house. Um, we, we get so much identity upon what people think when they walk into the room and they see what we built or that we see what they, what we've done. Or what about this, performance? We base so much identity on whether or not you can perform. I, I talk about this with pastors a lot uh, because something that is very wonderful is, we as pastors get the opportunities to listen to other pastors. We get to listen to other churches, other podcasts. But there's a bad side. There's that competition and comparative side where we hear somebody preach something great and we sit back and we just say, why why, why try any longer? I can't preach like that or I can't be like that. But how often do we do that with the people around us? Where we are drawing our identity, we are drawing from the culture the way to define ourso- ourselves based upon how people look, uh, based upon what they have, or based upon how they perform. And that eats away at our security. Or secondly, we let our past define who we are. We let our past define who we are. God wants to forgive us. God wants to cleanse us of that. But I've learned in these moments, it's not God hasn't done anything about our past. It's just that we don't let go of it. And quite honestly, there are some people in our lives that do not want us to let go of our pasts. I've learned the people that don't want me to let go of my past are the people that like to have more say-so in my life. It's a sense of control. And every time somebody wants to remind you of your past, you need to remind them of who you are in Christ. Because if we don't, we let culture define us, we let our past define us, and then we step back and we're like, why do we see ourselves this way? Why do we see ourselves that way? We need transformation. What do we do about it? Before we get into Gideon, I want to give you a great scripture that I think will help so many of you that are watching today. And the scripture is out of Romans chapter 12, verse number three. It says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, according with the measure of faith God has given you. Look at that. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I'm going to give you a little bit of a kind of a Greek lesson here. We're going to break the scripture apart. Do a little Bible study. First of all, it says, don't think of yourself more highly. Now, that word highly in the Greek language means an improper view. In other words, you've made a wrong assessment. You're not right in the mind. It is a Greek word, um, hyperphaneo. Hyperphaneo, you have, you have to have the right mind and you don't have it right now because you have an improper view. And I don't know what's giving you the improper view of you. I don't know if you are weighing yourself next to somebody else. If you're seeing yourself in light of somebody else. I don't know if there's something in your past that feels like you, it has eliminated you from ever having a great future. But what Romans would say is you have an improper view of yourself. Now, we read it and says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's not talking about pride. It's actually talking about, don't think of yourself with the improper view. And then it says, think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, we had hyperphaneo, and we have a new word, sophaphoneo. And that means to have the right mind to be in the right mind. In fact, if you ever study any type of, uh, of scripture in Greek language and on the connection, you don't just look at what something means, look at where it's been used elsewhere. And so this uh, this so, uh, sophaphoneo word is used not just here in Romans, but it was used when Jesus set a demonic man free. And it says that when the crowd saw the man was in his right mind, sophaphoneo, When they saw him in his right mind, they were amazed. So don't think of yourself in an improper view. Rather, think of yourself with, we might read sober judgment, but it really means think of yourself with the right mind. Think of yourself in the right mind. How do we do that? This is what the scripture says. In accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Now, you're you're like, well, how do we have that measure of faith that God has given us? Does that mean that God just gives us faith? I do believe that God helps give us faith. But this doesn't mean just have faith and you'll have a greater identity in Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it means this. It means have confidence in who God is and what God thinks of you. Have confidence in who God is and what God thinks of you. Look at that scripture. Don't think of yourself with the wrong assessment, but think of yourself with the right mind. What's the right mind? It's what God thinks of you and who God is. Man, imagine if that's where we started at to get our right mind. We understand who He is, how graceful and merciful He is, and then how He views us, which leads us to the place of having a right mind so that we don't have a wrong assessment over who we are. Write this down. You will never be right until you can see yourself right. You will never be right until you see yourself right. And the only way to see yourself right is to see yourself in light of how God sees you. See, as long as the assessment of yourself is based upon culture, your own assessment, your own past, you will never be right. Please, in the name of Jesus, see yourself the way that Jesus sees you. Well, Pastor Dave, Dave, I see myself as nothing but a sinner. I would challenge you in this see yourself as somebody who is loved by Jesus. Well, am I still a sinner? You may be. But you see yourself in a place where you're loved by Jesus. So you not only see your sin, but you see that God's love still loves you and wants to pull you into a new place and into a new identity. Well, I see myself as broken. I want you to look in that place of weakness and to see that God sees that opportunity for his strength to be made uh, to be made manifest in your life. I want you to see your life, how God sees you. And that's what can tend to drive us either into security or if we ignore that, we go further into insecurity. So I want to ask you a very pointed question and a very vulnerable question. You could ask amongst your people that you're watching with there in your home, or you could respond right here on the live stream. I want to ask you this question. What area of your life do you sense the most insecurity in? And that's a tough question to answer, But I think the vulnerability is very good because when it comes to our identity, our identity tends to get interrupted by insecurity. So let's just lay it on the table. What is one area of your life where you sense the most insecurity? Today, what I want to do is I want to help you or equip you to help others to deal with this area of insecurity. Because my goal is to move every single person who is watching this or listening to this, to move toward a place of being secure in who you are in Christ, instead of being insecure into somebody else's assessment of you, or sometimes worse, your assessment of yourself. Judges chapter six, we've got this awesome story about a very insecure man that God just visits in a very tough moment. Look here, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the tibereth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizanite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Let me give you some explanation here. Gideon is hiding in a winepress because, number one, he's afraid. But number two, it was known in that region that Midianites or Philistines or other enemies, they would let Israel plant and harvest and do all of the hard work and attack them when they were taken away the fruit of their own labors. That way, the enemies didn't want to do the work. They just wanted to invade those that were doing the work. And so he is thrushing all of his wheat because if the enemy would have saw him, they would have just waited for him to get done threshing, to collect all of the grain together that was useful and then come in and take it from him. That's why he's hiding. He's quarantined off from everybody else because he's in fear. Verse 12. At the age of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." I want to stop right there because that's a huge thing for you to understand. God saw more in Gideon than Gideon saw in Gideon. He saw more in Gideon. God sees more in you than you will ever see in yourself. In fact, he looks at the guy who is hiding, who's trying to be quiet, who's trying to avoid any enemy and avoid being noticed, And as we're going to learn in the next verse, he doesn't think much of himself or his family or clan or whatever. And in the midst of this, God shows up. I want you to hear me right now that often our our insecurities can scream louder than our faith. So often our insecurities want us to move us to a place where we just hide ourselves in the peripherals of life so that we no longer get noticed. But I want you to understand that in Christ, we have everything that we need to see victory in our life. You may feel insecure, and you may not feel like you've got the, enough in you to stand out and to do the things that God has called you to do. But I'm here to tell you that in Christ, you have everything you need for victory in your life. I want you to know that even though an enemy wants to steal away the fruit of your life and the fruit of your labor, I want you to stand your ground in Christ. Don't give up. Keep fighting, because God will always see more in you than you see in yourself, and God can always do more in you and through you than you've ever dreamed he could. I believe it. There are Gideons that are watching here today that God wants to raise up as a champion. And that's where we get Gideon. Gideon steps up here in verse number 13 and it says, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened? Wow, doesn't that sound like a prayer that we would pray right now in the midst of this quarantine? Why? If God's with us, then why does bad stuff even happen? Where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us to the hand of Midian. And then verse 14, I love the angel's response. He says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. What I love is he goes from being scared. He's hiding and he's scared. And then he finally gets real with God, and he gets real with himself. Let me repeat that. Gideon goes from being the place of fear and excuses to the place where he finally, he's going to get real with God, and he's going to get real with himself. What does he say? How can I even do this? He went from, hey, you're telling me to do what? How can you expect? In fact, you abandoned. God, you left us. God, how could you? He went from blaming God for all of these things that was going on underneath the surface till that got stripped away and he just simply said, you know what? I'm the weakest of the weak of the weak. I am the least out of the least of all of our clans, the least of our nation. I there's nothing that I can do. And I love that because I don't think that you and I will ever see full healing in our life until we get honest with God and we get honest with ourselves. You will never find the depth of healing that you have prayed about until you're able to get honest with God and honest with yourself. It's okay to get honest with God. It's okay to get honest with yourself. My clan is the weakest. I am the least in my father's house. We have to learn to get real and just admit where we feel so insecure. Can't can't you hear the insecurities screaming from Judges chapter 6? This is that Romans 12 mindset where he thought so incorrectly about himself. And yet, before I harp on Gideon, to me, this is where I feel like I live in this. Can I just be real with you today? I feel like I live in this spot. See, there rarely comes a moment when I'm preaching, or I should say even leading into preaching, where I am not going through anxiety. What seems... Natural for pastors, I'm just going to tell you, many of us, we are very insecure. And it's not that we are insecure about what we are going to say, as much as just we are, we're not doubting what we're saying, we're doubting this vessel, the humanity. We want to say things right. We want to do things right. We want to be We want to be the voice of God and make sure it's articulate and it's clear. But that's something that I feel like I've grown up with my entire life. I grew up extremely shy. I struggled to make C's in school. I was not good with homework. Even worse, I wasn't good with tests. I had trouble with people believing in me. Now, I'll tell you this. People that believed in me more than anybody else was my parents. But the problem is, the people I thought would believe in me, like specifically when I got to Bible college, a lot of my friends didn't believe in me. Some of the comments that I would get about, you know, picking another vocation or make sure that I don't get into a preaching ministry because I wasn't a good preacher. There are things that fed those insecurities. And when it came to my own self-assessment, it's something that I've struggled in my entire life because I've never thought much of the person that I saw in the mirror. Because in my mind, anything I've ever wanted to do, I could always think of somebody that could do it better. I'm trying to be real with you today. I'm not trying to create a pity party or anything like that. Uh, but there's a reason that for about two or three years, a handful of years ago, I wrote something above the door of my office that most people coming in and out, would they wouldn't have even noticed. And it was three words. I wrote these words because I feel like it was one of those Holy Spirit moments that I needed to write on my doorpost of my office that every single time I walked out to go preach, teach, or do whatever, it was these three words. Sanctify my imagination. It was my prayer. Lord, sanctify, change, transform, purify, make whole my imagination. Because if the only thing I felt like I had qualifying me for doing anything in life, anything in ministry, was the fact that God called me to do it, and I felt like that was it. And it's my imagination, my own self-assessment That could get the best of me and wanted to unqualify me and eliminate me from anything that god wanted me to do i wanted to be real with you today to let you know this is something your pastor could tend to deal with and I, i i would venture to say that every single one of us probably deals with levels of insecurity in some area Maybe your insecurity is the way you deal with other generations. Maybe your insecurity is the way we deal with people of other races. Maybe your insecurities have have come from your own self-assessment on how good you are at your job or how good of a parent that you are. Maybe your self-assessment is uh, maybe you've expected to have or do something by this point in your life and you haven't done it. And so your insecurities have gone into the have versus the have not. But I'm here to tell you, that we cannot fall prey to the wrong type of assessments in your life. you got to learn to lean upon what God has spoken over you. So my second question for today is this. And this is the time for you to get real. The question I have for you is this. What assessments were spoken over you? What assessments were spoken over you? I can spend time talking about this, the assessments of me from my neighborhood friends growing up. I could tell you about the the kids who bullied me throughout middle school. They used to chase me down and spit on me Um, every day after school. If I wasn't at football practice, I'd have to run home because I knew who was coming after me. I could take my assessment from people from youth group. I could take assessment from um, people at Bible college. (laughs) take assessment from some great people in my life, my former youth pastor, my parents. Uh, I had some people, they gave me great assessment, but I had so many voices coming from every different way that sometimes we get so confused. So that's the question. What assessments were spoken over you? Would you take a time just to share that with somebody today? Today, as we bring things to a close, I want to help you to see yourself correctly I do I want to help you with that good self assessment because I think all of us I think all of us have some level of insecurity we deal with and Maybe it's harder for you to find. Maybe it's hard for you to admit. But I think we all deal with a little bit of of insecurity. And I want to help you to see yourself correctly. So how do we do that? Is number one, if you're going to see yourself correctly, number one, see God correctly. See God correctly. There are so many people that I talk to that find a home at K-First. And when we have conversations, I begin to realize they have a hard time with God because they don't see him correctly. Maybe you grew up in a church where your hair had to be a certain length or you had to wear certain types of clothing or you had to listen to the the right type of music that was only sanctioned by the pastor in the pulpit or you had to uh, have children that were well behaved in this manner or you had these massive lists of what you had to do. Show up to this many services, do this, do that, serve here, serve there. Um, And you just saw that when you showed up to church that People were angry, and therefore God must be angry. I'll be honest, during this quarantine, the most angry people I see on social media are not people without Christ, they're Christians. And so, no wonder why people think an incorrect idea of God if they're seeing nothing but anger coming from us and so I would challenge you see God correctly I want you to know that religion has lied to us we don't have to earn God's love we live from God's love and there's a difference one thing you're doing it in order to get here we get it we get God's love and so we get to live from that place I love the word in Psalm chapter 59 verse 10 in his unfailing love my God will stand with me I love that in his unfailing love, because of his unfailing love, he stands with me. I love that God's love is already with me, standing with me. And, and we get to operate from the place of being loved by God. And maybe this morning, some of you just need to hear, you need to have better self-assessment. And it starts with how you view God. Because this, your relationship with God will be no better than your view of God. Your relationship with God will be no better than your view of God. So we fix that, number one. We can, ten, we can then live and operate out of that, which leads me to number two. See yourself the way God sees you. See yourself the way that God sees you. We see God correctly, and now we begin to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. See, this thing of God looking at us, God doesn't care about our shape. Our height, our hair, the shoes, the the homes, and the cars. We have so much assessment that we base off of surfacey things. But you need to believe that what God says about you is true. I am forever grateful for the parents that I have. And I recognize that not everybody can say that, but I feel very honored that I can say that. And there's two statements that my parents have made to me for... I'm 44 years old for 44 years that I will never forget why because they, they still say those words to me. The two statements are this. Number one, I love you. It's rare I hang up with my mom without hearing those words, I love you. My parents, both mom and dad, have said that to me my entire life. It's something that every child needs to hear and for every single person whose heart is aching right now because maybe you've never heard that from a parent and you've longed to hear that from a parent, I want you to hear that from the Lord today. He loves you. The other thing that my parents used to say is this, I'm proud of you. I still hear that. And, so, and whenever I hear it, I feel like I'm a little boy again. Because in the wake of all of the other voices that wanted to speak over my life, all the negative things I heard from my neighborhood friends and, and the kids from school or what well, someone might have spoken over my life in Bible Couch, that wasn't a good thing whatsoever. In the face of all the negativity, I had those immortal words waiting for me from my mom and my dad. I'm proud of you. And why do I share that? It's not to say, hey, look at what I had. I celebrate what I had. But I honestly, I feel like the Lord brought that up to my mind because he wants to make sure that I speak that over you. I love you and I'm proud of you. And I've had people say that, say a response to me, well, God would never be proud of me if he knew what I've done. I'm like, well, God knows what you've done. And there's a difference between my parents saying to me, I'm proud of you, David, And then, David, I'm proud of all your decisions, because the second one would not be true. They're not proud of every decision I've ever made, and they don't have to be. But they're proud of me as a human being. They're proud for me to be called their son. They're proud to be my parents. And so when you heard the words, I love you and I'm proud of you, I want you, I want to know God is speaking that over your life today because you may not have ever heard that from a parent, but I want you to hear that from the heavenly father today, that he loves you and he is proud to be connected to you. He is proud to call you daughter. He is proud to call you his son. He is proud to say that you are one of his children. And I want you to see yourself the way God sees you. He loves you. And he is proud of you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I, I, I love this translation. But you are not like that. You have been chosen by God himself. You're priests of the king, holy and pure, God's very own. All of this, that you may show others how God has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So get a better view of God and then see yourself the way that he sees you. He loves you and he's proud of you. That leads me to the last thing. And it's very practical. Number three, get around people who see yourself the way that God sees you. I need to get around people that see me the way that God sees me. And that's huge because most of you will get off of this broadcast and you're going to go onto social media and you know what you're going to hear or read you gonna read other people's assessment of you or our reality right now or our politics right now or the world right now. You're going, to get a lot of, you're going to get a lot of other people's assessment on how bad it is or how negative things are or what you should think and what you should do and how you should respond. But that, all that is is the enemy just wants to come and repo your life right back. You need to see yourself as a child of God. And I'm not saying this. Don't abandon all of your friendships and all of your connections. You need to have healthy boundaries. But I wrote this down earlier this week. Every voice in your life does not have to have the same weight. Every voice in your life does not have to have the same weight. Have boundaries. Know the godly voices. Know the not-so-godly voices. But get to the place where you can find people who will see you the way that God sees you and remind you of who you are in Christ. They become what the Proverbs writer says, iron sharpening iron, so men sharpen the countenance of their friends. That word countenance could be translated the word identity. When we sharpen each other, we help sharpen the identities, the countenance of our friends because it's right relationships that help us define who we are and then what we become. When we get in good relationships, it helps us to find who we are and what we are to become. That's why God sent Gideon. From that point on, he sends them He sends them to go get others and then to, uh, to go after the enemy with others and to operate in community because you and I need each other. We're children of God. It's time that we stared ourselves in the face and we saw the person in the mirror not for what we they used to be, but for who they are right now in the eyes of God. He loves you. He's proud of you. And he wants to do great and mighty things in and through you. I want to pray for you. Jesus, we just get ourselves in a posture of prayer, believing that you can do miracles in us. And Lord, I pray over every individual who struggles with who they see in the mirror. I pray for every Gideon who thinks of themselves as nothing but broken, weak, unqualified, I pray that, Lord, that you would rescue them, give them new identity, new purpose, new life. Lord, I pray for every person that is not in a relationship with you, whose life has just been claimed by sin, whose life has been claimed by brokenness, whose life has just been repossessed over and over and over by other things, other entities that have laid off claim of ownership over them. And today, Lord, if there's a person there that needs you, I pray right now that they would just turn their faith towards you and say, Jesus, I invite you in for a brand new start because I am loved. I am your child. I am yours. So Lord, I just speak your blessings over one and all. Believe in God that you're going to bring us into a greater place of assessment as children of you, knowing that if we can understand our right relationship with you, we can then understand how to navigate relationships and our destiny with you and through you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. God bless you. I love you all.